What's up, everybody? I want to welcome you to uh, Liquid Church. My name is Pastor Tim, and before we dive in, uh, we want to give a big welcome to all of our campuses. We have Liquid, Essex, Middlesex, Union, Somerset Counties. Would you welcome them all? We're glad you guys are with us for Church Online. Glad you're here for the, uh, the grand finale of our uh, summer series at the movies. Have you guys enjoyed uh, the series? Have you enjoyed it? Good time? Yeah, you just want more free popcorn, right? Let's be honest, right? Hopefully you've gotten a glimpse of God's heart really behind some of the Hollywood hits that we've been exploring on the big screen. Uh, last week, Pastor Nathan did a fantastic job dissecting uh, the movie Lion, but today I think we've saved the best for last because today we're going to dive into the best-selling story, The Shack. Now, I just need a quick show of hands. How many of you read the original book, The Shack? when it came out. Okay, this is about 10 years ago. Okay, yeah, a lot of hands there. Before it was a movie, The Shack was a little book by an unknown author, a Canadian guy named William Paul Young. And uh, he actually wrote The Shack as a Christmas gift for his six children. Uh, He had no intentions of it being published. He just wanted to write a creative story as a way to communicate the love of God in a creative way to his kids. And so he actually, Young, typed out the story, the manuscript on his computer, printed it out at home, and uh, went to his local Kinko's uh, to make copies of it. That was his grand idea. I'm going to make copies of it for Christmas Eve and give it to my kids. And uh, a few of his friends got their hands on it, and they read it, and they said, Paul, you have to release this to the general public. It's that powerful. And um, so they went to publishers, and of course, they all rejected it because they're like, nobody knows who you are. And so in 2007, William Paul Young self-published the story, and a year later, it blew up. Based only on word of mouth, The Shack sold one million copies and rocketed to number one on the New York Times bestseller list for fiction, where it stayed for 70 straight weeks. It sold another 10 million copies, translated into foreign languages, caught fire around the globe. And as of today, the shack has now sold over 22 million copies. It is officially one of the top 100 best-selling books of all time. Uh, Not too shabby for a first-time author who self-published a little story for his kids to teach him about the love of God. You know, my question is, you know, what, what is it? What is it about the shack that has really touched millions of people so deeply. If you don't know anything about it, the, uh, it's a story of a man named Mackenzie Phillips, or Mac is what he goes by. His daughter, a little girl named Missy, is abducted. She is kidnapped uh, by a serial killer. It's every parent's worst nightmare. Uh, a child abducted, brutalized, and murdered. And after losing his daughter, Mac's heart is shattered. He actually plunges into a deep depression and questions, how could a all-powerful, all-loving God allows such evil and suffering in the lives of his children. Until one day, Mac receives a note from God or Papa inviting him to return to the shack, the dark cabin in the woods, the original scene of the crime where his daughter, he lost his daughter. And the shack is the symbol of Mac's deep grief and pain. And when he arrives, he doesn't know what or who to expect. And then... Mac meets God, and he, or she, uh, or better yet, they, are definitely not what he expected. Before we compare the story with scripture, let's sit back and watch the full movie trailer for The Shack. Car leaves in 20 seconds. We gotta go. Let's go. Do you think the princess should have a red dress like mine? Red it is. 
Where's Missy? Missy! Where's Missy? Sorry, Mac. They haven't seen her. Missy! Missy! I was scared. I didn't know what to do. Possible suspect sighting. Ground teams found the truck in the mountains. I'm really sorry, Mr. Phillips. You want some help over there? I'm okay. Well, have some dinner tonight. Maybe next time. I just showed up in my mailbox with no tracks in the snow. You're not thinking about going back there, are you? I gotta do something. You know, this isn't a good idea. It's crazy, but this is all I got. Got a fire going inside if you want to warm up. Mackenzie Allen Phillips. I've been looking forward to this. Do I know you? Not very well, but we can work on that. He's still having a hard time believing this is real. Why did you bring me here? There's no easy answer that'll take your pain away. Where were you when I needed you? I never left you. I never left this. Ain't it just like a tear to go and blow? You want me to forgive him? I want him to hurt like he hurt me. You want the promise of a pain-free life? Yeah. There isn't one. You can do this. I can't. Not on your own, Scan. This is your flying lesson. You gotta admit, the shack paints a pretty unconventional portrait of the Trinity. Uh, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, the Father or Papa, uh, an African-American woman played by Octavia Spencer. Uh, her son, Jesus, uh, a Middle Eastern man who, spoiler alert, is a carpenter. Uh, and then Sarayu, who the Holy Spirit is kind of personified by this mysterious Asian woman who kind of shimmers like a rainbow. And as you can imagine, the shack uh, generated a bit of controversy when it first came out in some circles. Uh, there were some traditional Christians who were kind of scandalized by the idea of calling, you know, God the Father Papa, and he sounds like Oprah. And uh, Young himself was branded a heretic, uh, a universalist in some circles by others who say, oh, the story's, you know, full of uh, junk theology and kind of undermines, you know, orthodox Christian beliefs, harumph. And... Uh, but Young himself wrote this. He said, you know, the shack was never intended to be a systematic theology for badgering unwitting believers into religious submission. It is fiction and it is story. It is an utterly human tale rife with the mystery of journey and failure, of loss and uncertainty, of deep and precious desires and questions. So let me be super upfront about our purpose today. We're not going to critique the shack line by line to expose its flaws. We're not going to debate fine points of doctrine. It's, it's fiction, folks. It was a kid's story written as a gift, a Christmas gift. And I think just like Jesus used simple stories in parables to kind of paint a picture of the Father's heart, I think the shack is kind of a modern parable that's meant to spark our moral imagination to think deeply about our daddy in heaven. You know, the slogan on the cover here is where tragedy confronts eternity. And it addresses this age-old question. How can a 
good God, a God who is supposed to be all-powerful and all-loving, allow pain and evil and suffering in the lives of the children that he professes to love? That is an excellent question. That is a question every single one of us have wondered. And today we're going to turn directly to God's word to discover the biblical answer. And then we're going to see how it's reflected on screen. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in the Gospel of John today. Chapter 14, it's in the New Testament. And where this is Jesus talking to his disciples who are about to confront the greatest tragedy of their young lives. And Jesus is going to talk to his followers about three things. He's going to talk to them about loss. Losing the one that they love the most in life. And then how the love of God can overcome that pain. When you think life can't go on, the love of God can actually treat that wound and ultimately bring healing. The the kind of bone deep healing for those whose souls are torn by the brokenness of this world. Loss, love, and healing. Those are the three acts of this story that we're gonna track today. But before we dive in, I just wanna invite you to make this personal, right? Because everybody here, we've been all been touched by pain and loss. It's just part of life. But my guess is that most of us have not endured a tragedy like Mac Phillips, the father in the shack. Uh, Mac is a daddy. He's a, he's a family man, in fact, who takes his kid on a camping trip in the Pacific Northwest. It's just a fun family weekend before school begins in the Oregon woods. But then a canoe flips over and Mac is distracted while he kind of rescues his son from the water. And while that's happening, Missy disappears. His youngest daughter is snatched, abducted, ripped from his arms. It's every parent's worst nightmare. I um, I remember 10 years ago, I uh, received this book and I read it while going on vacation. And And we had to fly. And so I get on the plane, you know, and we get up there. I settle in my seat and I'm reading in about 10 minutes. I'm like, literally tears. I'm like, like this. I like hugging my sunglasses. I put my sunglasses on. You know, the waitress is like, would you like peanuts? I'm like, yes, yes. You know, it was so embarrassing. And I wondered why was that? Well, because I'm a daddy and my daughter Chase was five years old at the time. And even though the story is fiction, I just couldn't imagine what it would be like to lose her. I mean, if you're a parent, you understand this, right? Like, your kids are your heart walking around outside of your body. And when Mac learns that Missy's been murdered, brutalized in this shack in the woods, his heart tears in two. He shuts down emotionally, falls into a deep depression that he calls the great sadness. And anybody who's experienced depression understands this that overwhelming sense of grief that can just wash over your world. He feels deep guilt. I I could have done more. I should have done more to protect her. And he feels deep anger that a good God would ever allow a horrific event like this to happen. And three years later, Mac's a broken man. He is cold. He's distant, withdrawn from his family. His heart is closed down, locked in a vault to shut out the pain. But then he receives this mysterious note from God That reads, Mackenzie, it's been a while. I've missed you. I'll be at the shack next weekend if you want to get together. Signed, Papa. Now, Papa is the name his wife uses for God. uh, Papa or Abba or Daddy. And for Mac, though, it's way too familiar. He, you know, God is this distant, uncaring deity way off in the sky. And honestly, this seems like a very cruel joke, right? Because the shack 
is where Missy was murdered. And so the idea of him revisiting the vortex of his deepest pain is revolting. But Mac hops in a Jeep. He heads into the woods. And when he arrives at the shack, all the emotion that's been buried down deep comes pouring out. have her body buried properly. have the guts to show some papa you are. I wonder, what's your shack? What is the painful event or painful season of life that makes you question God's goodness? You know, as a pastor, I'm privileged to be present at a lot of um, painful situations, I've been at the hospital when um, that day that a mother delivered her first child and the baby was stillborn. And the parents, on the day they were supposed to be celebrating life, had to make funeral arrangements. There's no words. I've been there when a child goes into surgery for a heart malformation. I've been called when when an adult parent, an adult, disappears into the mental fog of Parkinson's or Alzheimer's. There's no words. Or somebody's hit by a drunk driver. It's tragic. There's no words. Last winter, a close friend of mine um, lost his uncle to a heroin overdose. 
And when we got together for coffee, he said, Tim, I'll never forget it because I discovered him in the basement on the couch and the needle was still stuck in his leg. He said, I will never get that image out of my head for the rest of my life. It's an understatement to say, terrible things happen in this world, tragic things, horrific. Children are abused by alcoholic parents. Husbands and wives cheat on each other and they live with the pain of that betrayal the rest of their lives. William Young, the author of the story, knew something about personal loss and sadness. Young grew up a missionary kid in Papua New Guinea where he was sexually abused. Not by his family, but by the people who were supposed to protect him on the mission field. And Young wrote that the shack was birthed out of his wrestling with God over the problem of pain. How can a good and loving God who's sovereign, he's in control, permit such evil to a child? Young actually felt such heavy shame that he considered taking his life through suicide. As you can imagine, it kind of threw his faith in God into a tailspin. But I wonder, what's your shack? Was there a loss or a painful event or even just kind of a a season of suffering in your family that makes you question the goodness of God? I'm not trying to pick a wound. I'm just asking you to make it personal. Maybe your childhood was stolen from you or a car accident shattered your family's peace or a painful event in college like a rape or an assault, a marriage that failed. Like like Mac, we all have these things where just the memory of it can surface all the buried hurt and anger. Even if it happened years ago, I find people limp along with this sense of kind of confusion and loss, doubting God and struggling to make sense of what happened because it so deeply violated their sense of justice. Enter God. Enter Jesus. I'm moving into Act 2. In John 14, Jesus shared a dark secret with his disciples. He said, gather around, all my followers. And Jesus said, he told them, the greatest man that they had ever known, the one who loved them unconditionally, the one who walked and talked and ate with them for three years, who taught them about God's love and grace and mercy and forgiveness, he told them that there was a trauma that was coming. He said, guys, I'm about to be murdered. He said, I'm going to be betrayed by a friend and then falsely accused, unjustly arrested, physically tortured, and brutally murdered by my enemies. And the disciples were shocked. I mean, for three years, they walked side by side with God in the flesh, and now they were heartbroken. They were torn apart about the impending loss of their friend. And so Jesus spoke these words in John 14 to them. He said, no, no, no. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Let's read this together. Trust in God and trust also in me. There's more than enough room in what? My father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And Jesus is speaking here for first time in, in great detail about the reality of heaven. That what you and I experience here on earth, while painful, while vivid, is not ultimate reality. That their father was in heaven and that was their real home. He called it my father's home. It was a place of great warmth and affection. 
And that Jesus, while he was about to leave them through the crime of crucifixion, he said, I'm going home to be with my papa, my father. He's your father, who behind the scenes has been preparing a place for them, preparing a place for you. He says, when everything is ready, I'll come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Oh, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through who? Me, the Son. In other words, how do you get to the Father? Only by following the Son. If you follow Jesus, you'll meet Papa. And that's exactly what Mac does in the movie. The moment Mac steps out of that dark shack into the light of the forest, he meets this strange Middle Eastern man who says, come on, follow me. He says, to where? To Papa's house. And the snow and the ice begin to melt away and the wildflowers start blooming. And as Mac follows Jesus deeper into the forest, they come to this beautiful little cabin in the woods next to a lake. Is Mac dreaming? Or is he about to come face to face with his true father, the Son and the Holy Spirit? This is what he discovers. Mackenzie Allen Phillips. <laughs> my, my, my. Look at you. Do I know you? Not very well, but we can work on that. I've been so looking forward to this. To finally see you face to face. Can I take your coat? And that gun. We wouldn't want anyone to get hurt now, would we? I understand. It's confusing. We all do. We will do this on your terms and time. Are you saying that you're... I am. The... I am. I am that I am. <laughs> Look at that. Already quoting scripture. You bet my son. Ready to see you, Mac. Your son? Of course. And um, son are you? Sarah who? <laughs> <laughs> Syria. It means a breath of wind. All right. So, which one of you is? I am. And you have no idea how much I love you. It's okay, baby. Let it go. 
We all collect things we value, don't we? I collect tears. Again, not your most traditional portrayal of the Trinity, but it may be more biblical than you think. Psalm 58 says this about God. You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears. Where? In your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book, which is simply to say when his children are in pain, God sees. The Father cares, and he is deeply moved when his children suffer. I mean, let me ask, what do you think God is doing right now? Like if you were to peer up into heaven, how do you envision God? I mean, right now on Sunday morning, what is he doing? See, there's this popular myth that God is, is here's where God is right now. He is seated on his throne. Well, what's he look like? Well, he's an old man with, with a white beard and he's kind of looking down on earth Vaguely annoyed, <laughs> in disapproval, distant, remote, detached, expressionless, all alone in the sky with his arms folded, kind of looking down on an ants like us. It's very annoying. You're very disappointing. <laughs> the reality is, this is nothing like what the biblical God is like. The God of the Bible, for starters is not all alone, and neither are you. The God of the Bible lives in passionate, loving, vibrant, electric community, in deep relationship, a fellowship of hearts. Understand, if you peel back the cosmos, at the center of the universe that creation was born out of, you will not find a math equation or a scientific formula. It is a father and son in perfect relationship bound by the loving bond of the Holy Spirit. Father, son, spirit, three persons. It is a family of love in the father's house. A papa rich in mercy. A son who, who loves his Abba and obeys him perfectly. And the Holy Spirit uniting all of them in perfect love. I'm talking, of course, about the Christian trinity. Now, don't get tripped up on this term, trinity. You see the, the prefix tri there, or three. It's just a theological term that scholars use to describe the person of God. Or should I say, persons. See, the trinity is God in three persons. I remember in college, they gave me this diagram. Let me show this to you. Ever see this diagram? Explaining it. Well, the Father is God, but he is not the Son. The Son is also God, but he is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's God, but the Holy Spirit is not the Father. Doesn't that just warm your heart? <laughs> oh, yes. Now I see. Diagrams don't quite capture the heart of relationship. But uh, the ancient Christians, the early Christians, they had a beautiful word picture I want to share with you. They, they understood that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in this incredible, joyous, ecstatic relationship of love, this is the word they used. Parachoresis. Can you try to say that? Para, 
caresses. You see peri, like perimeter, it means circle. And then you see the word chorus here, it means singing and dancing. So they said, we use the word perichoresis to describe the Trinity. In other words, it's a group of people who are so in love with each other that there is such joy that they dance and they sing in this amazing, colorful, vibrant world of love that which actually the love is what explodes the universe into existence. It's why you were created, to join the circle dance of God. Whoa. (laughs) The early Christians had something there. Now I'm leaning in. And it's very interesting. Have you ever been, perichoresis, have you ever been to like a Jewish wedding reception where they kind of put their arms on each other and they dance in a circle? Dun, 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 dun. No? Greek wedding? Opa! You know those things, all right? It's this, it's this beautiful picture of the life of God, of what he's doing right now. It is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, completely united, self-dependent, self-giving, joyful. There is no power struggles in these relationships. There's no hierarchy. This is the eternal family from which you were made and the one for which you were made to enjoy forever. To become a Christian meant to join the perichoresis, the divine dance of God. Sound too good to be true? In John 14, Jesus said this, don't you believe that I am where? In the Father, and the Father is where? In me. So if you're like, where's the Holy Spirit? I will ask the Father, Jesus said, and he will give you another advocate or counselor who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world can't receive him because it isn't looking for him, doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be where? Is this, you see what's happening here? This is an incredible promise. The son says, I'm going to lead you to the father. And then the father sends the spirit, the spirit of Jesus to live where? With you now and later will be where? In you. Do you understand the hope of this to people who are in pain? To every orphan person who feels alone in a cruel and uncaring world. It is the greatest promise of all. It is the guarantee of union with God. That you will never been alone and you never will be alone. That if you follow Jesus, he will take you to the Father and he will put his spirit in you. Translation, you've been invited to the dance, to the perichoresis, the warmth, the home, the the perfect family that you've been longing for your whole life. I understand you may be here, you're like Mac, and you'd say, Tim, well, that sounds great, but if God loves me, why would he allow suffering and pain to touch my life? In the movie... Jesus patiently explains to Mac that Papa values free will for all his children. He, wants, he, he, he doesn't want slaves, he wants family. So he gives them free will, freedom to choose, to act independently. And that's the root of all sin and suffering and brokenness in our world, right? We are born out of, out of love by our heavenly father. But our earthly father, Adam, traded in. He said, you know what? I don't need God. I can be God. I'll be my own God. I want control. And Adam chose to live independently of the father, which ripped the hole in the relationship through which came flooding all the sin and brokenness and evil you see around in our world right now. It's men and women trying to be God. Instead of letting their father be God and judge the world, we take his place. I'm going to determine right from wrong and typically tip the rules in my favor. (laughs) But God never designed you to live independent of him. You are a dependent creature Commanded by Jesus, 
Trust in God, the Father, and trust also in who? Me. See, when you trust that God is good at his core, Jesus says, even your pain can be redeemed. Oh, even God can use that in your life to work incredible good. But that's easier said than done. I mean, when your little girl is taken, you've got, you've got hard questions for God. But the good news is, Papa has answers. You're the almighty God, right? You know everything. You're everywhere, all at once. You have limitless power. Yet somehow, you let my little girl die. When she needed you most. You abandoned her. I never left her. If you are who you say you are, Where were you when I needed you? Son, when all you see is your pain, you lose sight of me. Stop talking in riddles. How can you say that you will help me when you couldn't help her? Because of you, she's gone. Unless you can change that, I will never be free. The truth sets everyone free. And the truth has a name. He's over in his woodshed right now, covered in sawdust. Truth? Hmm? I know that story. You left him, too. Seems like you have a bad habit of turning your back on those you supposedly love. I'm not who you think I am. He said it himself. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? No, You misunderstand the mystery. by the filmmakers to have the nail marks the scars of crucifixion on both the son and the father see friends if your life has been touched by tragedy if you have suffered and wondered where was God in that both father and son point to the cross of Calvary the cross of Jesus Christ is proof of Papa's unfailing love It's on the cross that we see the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, working together for our forgiveness, for our healing, for redemption. Uh, Imagine the conversation in heaven, in the the Father's house, 
when he saw us going astray, when he saw sin and suffering and death and destruction entering this world and said, Jesus, I want you to enter. I want you to walk into that broken world. And Jesus said, absolutely, yes, Papa. And entered our mess. And Jesus said to the Spirit, Spirit, I'm going to take on humanity. Give me the strength to obey. Empower me to live the sinless life that they could never live. And then I'm going to die the brutal death that they all deserved. And on the cross, Jesus absorbs all the punishment and pain for the sin of the world so you and I can be forgiven, healed, and restored to life with the Father. Do you understand what that means for people who have suffered? Through people who have endured loss? The hardest visit I ever had in the hospital was with those parents who delivered a baby that was stillborn. At the moment you instinctively know you're supposed to be celebrating life, you're, you're looking at death. And I'll never forget when the nurse took that child and laid him on the chest of his mother to hold him. And the father just wept. As a pastor, there's no words. Like, there's no seminary training that prepares you for that moment because it's so wrong. It so deeply violates everything that you and I instinctively know. Life is supposed to be about on this earth. And then they looked to me to pray or say a word of comfort. And I remember telling them and saying, I am so sorry. I, I could never explain why this happened. But I know this, that your God is a father. And he knows what it's like to lose a child. He lost his only son. And because of his son... We're going to see your child again. That's the power and the hope of the cross. Amen? That this life is not all this is there is. That 2,000 years ago, the great, your great papa of love allowed his only child to be taken, abducted, brutalized, and killed. And the trinity was torn apart. And in the tearing of that, it opened the way for us to be restored to the father. Because Jesus was raised from pain and death, you and I have hope, we will too. We have hope, we will be reunited, not only with the Trinity, with our, our family, but with those we love. Well, where are they right now? If they follow the Son, we know. They're at the Father's house waiting for you. Jesus promised his followers, he said, since I live, you also will what? Live. When I'm raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are where? In me, and I'm where? In you. <laughs> Translation, all the tragedy and pain we experience on this side of earth will be redeemed one day in heaven. When God lifts the veil of eternity, and we see the home that you and I have been longing for. In the shack, this is the moment that Mac meets Missy. God gives him a glimpse of her new family in heaven. She can't hear you. No. 
But she knows you're here. She okay? More than you know. to let that go. There's a line that I underlined 10 years ago as Max sits with Papa and realizes that he's not the uncaring monster, he thought, but the perfectly loving father that Jesus promised. Max thinks about missing. He says, there's nothing, there, I can't imagine any outcome that would justify this. It says, Papa rose out of her chair and walked around the table to give Mac a big squeeze. Mackenzie. We're not justifying it. We are redeeming it. I highlight that line every time I read it because if you have suffered through heartache or loss, the loss of a child, a parent, a spouse, the loss of your innocence through abuse or assault or neglect, hear me very clearly. God is not interested in justifying what you've gone through or rationalizing your loss. He's in the business of redeeming it, of weaving it into his larger story of salvation, the redemption of all things. A resurrected Jesus said, behold, I'm making all things new. And the Bible promises there will be a day that you and I will see where every wrong will be set right, where every hurt will be healed, where even death itself will be swallowed up in life, eternal life. Amen? The cross means, guys, that God meets you right in your pain. The cross means that God weeps with you there. And the cross means that God will give you the strength to actually forgive. And with faith in Christ and strength by the Spirit, God can redeem even the darkest situations, guys. Do you know I know what redemption is? Everyone hears this term redemption, and it sounds all religious. Here's simply what it means. It's a second chance. It's when something painful in your life happens that you would never choose, but God takes that garbage, he heals your wounds, and then he transforms it. He uses it to help others. Redemption is, what's redemption? Redemption, I'm holding it. Redemption is the author of this book, Paul Young, suffering sexual abuse as a child and 38 years later discovering a savior who took his shame on the cross 
and healed his heart. And then he writes a book that draws 22 million people to the father heart of God. That's redemption, amen? That's what redemption means. That's full redemption. You have full redemption is, full redemption is making the devil sorry he ever messed with you in the first place. Because now your wounds are used as a source of healing in the life of others. Only Papa has the power to do that. So no matter what you've gone through, Jesus can heal your deepest hurts. Some of you have a lump of anger. He can melt that with his grace. And he can even give you the power to forgive. You have to let go. You have to let go of your right to play God, your right to take revenge, your right to be bitter, your right to to get even and say, Abba, I can't do this. Give me the strength to forgive those who've hurt me, who've caused me pain. That's That's the only time that that bone deep healing can really take root. So no matter what you've gone through, understand, you don't have to just limp through life all alone, feeling hurt or helpless. The truth is you have never been alone. And if you follow Jesus, you will never be alone again. Do you understand where he's leading us, guys? You and I are going to the Papa's house. He's preparing a place for us, so no fear. In John 14, Jesus ends with these words. I think they're written straight to our heart. He says, lean in. I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world can't give. So don't be troubled and don't be what? Afraid. It's only when we confess our fears, our failures, all of our hurts and wounds, and in faith, trust the Father to redeem them. Guys, you may never know on this side of earth why that happened, you may not be able to imagine how it could possibly be made right or even fit into God's plan of redemption. But if you trust that God is good all the time, you can move forward in confidence. You can join the perichoresis. You can actually feel joy, the circle dance of love that you were made to enjoy forever. After God gives Mac a vision of heaven, he gives Mac another gift, the supernatural strength to forgive Missy's killer. And that forgiveness sets Mac free. At the end of the story, after he recovers his daughter's broken body in the woods, he returns to Papa's house, finally free to entrust her to the loving arms of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who safely take her home. Now I 
message I ask what's your shack what's the painful event or loss maybe even a, a deep hurt or a season of hurt that God needs to heal in your life we all have hurts <laughs> we all have dreams that have died but your papa is in the business of redeeming all things for your good <laughs> and for his glory and Today, we're in the Father's house. That's what the church is. It's, it's, it's the Father's house. So Papa is here. We know Jesus is here. He's alive. The Holy Spirit is here and stands ready to heal those of us with hurting hearts. So I'm going to invite our prayer teams to come forward to the front of the stage at every campus. We want to close with a time of personal prayer. And I'm going to dismiss. The service will be over, but we're, this is really a ministry time. If God's been speaking to you, if you've been carrying around something painful or that just even happened over the past year, it is our deep joy to pray with you, to just come forward and let us minister the Father's love. There's some people here, my sense is that there's people here who you have this hole somewhere in your heart and the Father just needs to pour his molten love into it. <laughs> let us just pray for you. Let us weep with you. So all our campuses, let me do this. Let's all stand together. Would you stand with me? And as the band plays, after I pray, I'm going to invite you to step out of your seat and then just come forward for prayer. I'll pray right now, and then we'll pray for whatever is in your heart, depression, guilt, anger, grief, whatever it is, this morning it needs to go. 
you come forward, and, and this is a big step for some of you, I think, in your healing journey. You don't have to leave here the way that you came in. Come home to the Father's love and grace. Let's pray. Father, you are present, and you are good. You are good, God, all the time. And Jesus, you are a healer. Father, right now, you stand ready to touch the hearts of your children who are hurting today. God, there are men and women who are feeling that even now, they're being drawn to you through Jesus. And as they come forward, Father God, I ask, in the step of faith that they take to come forward, would you meet them in their pain and declare peace to their storm, peace to their grief, Father God? Would you bring healing to their deep hurt and flood them with hope, the hope of resurrection, of a new heavens, a new earth, of broken bodies made whole and restored? Father, only you can do that work. And so we're opening our heart right now and inviting you in. We thank you for being Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen. So this will be the formal end of our service. I'm going to dismiss you. But as you head out of your row, would you make way for people who are going to come forward to the front? And if God's been speaking to you, come on down. Meet us at the front here, and we'd pray with you. God bless you.